But now you take like that snake there at your feet. Don't shoot him. He's a gopher snake. He's a friend. He eats mice and rats. We'll put him in the shade. You see those darker markings? Cross patch overlay? Makes him look like a rattler. But you can see a thousand like that one. And when you see your first rattlesnake, you'll know the difference. Listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hi everyone and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 74 and I hope you all remain safe and healthy out there. Well, it's coming on Christmas and I wish you all the best for the upcoming holiday season. And I've already watched one Christmas movie and I am looking forward to my annual Charles Dickens A Christmas Carol Film Festival. I don't just watch one, I have three versions that I really like. I like the one with Patrick Stewart as Scrooge. That's a popular one. And I also like an older movie with George C. Scott. Uh, that one has the best ghost, in my opinion, and maybe up a notch on the creepy scale. And, of course, you can't leave out A Muppet Christmas Carol, the grand finale. So there you go, some film recommendations to go right in your Christmas stocking, along with that new snake hook you've been wanting. So I have some shout-outs to new patrons of the show. Ian Kanda, thanks so much for your one-time contribution. Uh, Folks, Ian is listening to the show strictly in order, so hopefully you'll hear my shout-out before the 4th of July. And I have some new Patreoners as well. Kim Brown, thank you so much, and your timing is rather excellent. And a special shout-out to Ruth and Henry, who love to go herping with their dad, Andrew Davis. So that makes me happy. And thanks for the nice note, Andrew, and for supporting the show. I appreciate y'all. And of course, I remain grateful to all of the show's patrons. I simply can't do this show without your support, and uh, you make it all possible. Keep it going into the future. And if you're out there listening and you would like to kick in a few bucks to help out, it's pretty easy to do, and I'll tell you all about it at the end of the show. And, uh, oh yeah, I want to give a shout out to Chris Haas for both his kind words on social media and some very thoughtful comments. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, I do like hearing from folks. I like your thoughts and opinions, guest suggestions. Uh, Don't go too heavy on the music criticism, please. But uh, otherwise, anything you got. You can email me at somuchpingle at gmail.com. And somuchpingle, of course, is all one word. And also, please note that I am on Instagram. Uh, Well, I've been there a long while now. But I'm also on post.news and mastodon now under the somuchpingle handle. One more item of note before we get to this week's episode. Next week is my last week of work before I return to the ranks of the retired after four months of service. Uh, Hey, it was good to go make some extra money, and it was kind of fun to step back into my old job and do some meaningful work and then step right back out again. So now I'm getting some precious time back, and I'm ready to start cranking out episodes again, which is good because there's a bit of a backlog now in the editing department. 
This week, we've got our sixth installment of Origin Stories, and this episode features Stacy Schenkel and Kim Brown. And I owe Stacy a bit of an apology because it took me a while to get this one put together. I think we recorded her segment at the end of February, and then I traveled a bunch, and then I went back to work, and I just couldn't get a bookend interview recorded until this fall with Kim, so this project got a little dusty. But I really like how it turned out, and I think Stacy and Kim pair well together, as they say in wine country, so let's listen. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show, and this afternoon, in the middle of another howling blizzard at my house, I'm in the middle of a conversation with Stacy Schenkel. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thank you. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm a little cold. I just came in from shoveling, and I'm going to have to go back out and shovel some more. So It's no fun. No. We need the snakes to come out. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go somewhere else to find snakes for at least a while yet. So, You live in North Carolina, correct? Chapel Hill. Yes. How's your weather? Um, it's getting better. The frogs are starting to chirp outside. We heard the upland chorus frogs out back. Okay. I actually heard my first spring peepers, I think, Monday or so of this week. We had a couple warmer days. like It went up to about 60-something. And ah. then today back down to like 49. So it's cool, but it's going to improve again tomorrow. Spring is coming. Yeah, I've already found two snakes this year, which I thought was very early, but I think they're confused by the off and on weather. Yeah. What, what did you find? Um, the first one was a red bellied snake under a rock, but it wasn't sleeping. It was actually awake and moving around hunting. I think the little isopods and things. Mm -hmm. um, second one was a juvenile rat snake that was probably born last summer and he was on our steps. So I think he just, he just came out early because he's so small. Probably hiding, spending the winter under the steps or something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he came out of our crawl space. Oh, okay. But yeah. probably one of the smallest ones I've ever found. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah. Here we go with the snakes. Sure. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I had put out a a call or a request for people to send me some interesting stories, herping stories. Uh, and, and this one... What you're going to, to tell us is a, a little different. And I, right away, I'm like, oh, this this is um, going to be something a little different, but something still pretty cool. So uh, the kernel of this story concerns how you actually got into herping. So why don't you go ahead and, and kind of take it from the top? Oh, sure. Um, so around 11 years old, um, well, let, let's go farther back. As soon as I found lizards, of course, I'm outside in Southern California. Um, I grew up in, in San Dimas, California, um, Los Angeles County. All right. Tried to catch every Western fence lizard I could, um, you know, alligator lizards, anything. First thing we did was collect isopods, little pill bugs, and keep them in boxes. I don't know why, <laughs> but we thought that would be something fun to do. There are, there are hundreds of people listening to this right now. They're shaking their heads up and down going, yeah, yeah, roly-polies in a box. I get it. Yeah, I don't know why, but anything, basically anything we found outside, we wanted to take it in the house and keep it and just basically study it. We even found a pill bug one time and she was, you know, the, the I don't know what they're called, but it was as she was having her young. And they were oh, just wow. like the size of fleas, but white. It was amazing. I'll never forget that either. My sister and I were out there. Mm. 
Okay, very cool. Yeah, but once I got to about, it was 11 years old, I was in sixth grade. Um, We were at the bus stop, and I just remember the bus was about to come, and a whole bunch of kids were poking at something with a stick. And I I had to go over and see what was it that they were poking at, just, just out of curiosity. But I was really shy, so I didn't talk to them or anything, but I went over to check, and it was a baby snake. And they were poking it with that stick, and I just remember feeling really bad for the snake. And I wanted to go help, but I was shy. And then the bus was coming. So we all got on the bus. I forgot all about it. Right. Um, probably later that week or the next week, we're walking home from school. And I had two, two friends that I would walk home with and we're two houses down from where I grew up. And I don't remember if I saw it or who saw it, but there was a baby, a brand new baby snake in the gutter. And it was just wriggling around. And I just remember immediately thinking, well, this time I can do something about it. And then I I told my two friends to sit there and to watch the snake in the gutter so that it wouldn't get away or go in the street. And I ran up up the street, two houses. Um, I ran into the house. I just didn't even say anything to my parents. I just ran in, got the little, those little critter cottages everyone used to have with the plastic slap or snap on top. Yeah. Yeah. And I ran back down there and I got him into the cage. Lucky, Luckily, he was still there. Um, and at the time, you know, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know, you know, as a kid, you're not, my parents had never really talked about snakes, you know, they always respected animals. They respected everything outside in the backyard and taught us to, but we never really, I don't remember before that moment ever really thinking about snakes, but that was just such an exciting day. I can still remember that day very, very well because it was a huge turning point in my life. So you, you get the, the little snake into a critter carrier and what kind of snake was it? It was a juvenile, um, gopher snake and, you know, Pituophis, Catanifera, Nectans, the Southern California type. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, at the time I had no idea. <laughs> so <laughs> go home and say, Hey mom and dad, like, is it okay if, if I keep this? And luckily I have very cool parents that are very, they, they, they liked that we would try to learn about things. They liked the scientific side of things. Um, and as well as always having pets and animals around, um, they were okay with it. They didn't want to hold it or look at it, but, <laughs> but they were okay with me having it. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you, you get the snake and, and so two things happen here, right? Some kind of switch is thrown in your head. Is that yes. a way to, to think about it or some kind of, explosion or I don't know, some, some form of enlightenment happens to you. Yeah. I don't think I had ever cared about anything as much as that, that snake, that animal at that moment, especially, I mean, you know, we had dogs and we had other pets, but there was something very special about that. And I didn't know what or why, but you know, I immediately was just amazed by it. So, and when you're 11, I mean, you're really not I mean, looking back on it now, you can process, you've, you've processed what happened to you, mm-hmm. but when you're 11, it's kind of hard to, to think these things through what, what's happening to me. What, exactly. You know. <laughs> and, and you have no concept of like the future and Hey, now I need to take care of this animal. You know what I mean? It's just, you want to take it and keep it. <laughs> yeah. I, I get that. That, you know, we, we, uh, I think most of us go through this phase of wanting to capture nature in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Or wanting to prolong the experience, right? So we want the an- to keep the animal with us to prolong this this magical thing that happened to us. Exactly. Uh, but in your case, 
this this was you when you were eleven. Yes. And you still you still have the snake. Yes. And how old is the snake now? He is in this summer. He'll be thirty three. Thirty three. Thirty three. You do the I, math. Folks. I can't believe it. I really can't believe it. Still at this point, um, I never thought that he would last this long. He still he still has a good appetite. Um, he has cataracts in both eyes. I kind of hand him his mice, and I think he appreciates it. Um, you know, growing up, we would feed him live mice, and he loved it. But as he got older, and you know, kind of like the whole hobby switch to frozen thawed overall, right. um, he preferred that. I could tell because he was just—I I don't want to say he's lazy, but he prefers it just kind of being handed to him. And then as he got older, I think it, it made it easier on him. You, you know, there are many people out here who've had snakes for long periods of time. I, uh, I have, I've, I had a, um, one Rosie Boa in particular that she, uh, had her for 26 years. So mm-hmm. that in itself, um, is it's great. But the amazing thing is it's, it's still the first snake you ever saw or encounter encountered, had a personal experience with. Exactly. And you still have it, which I, I think is just amazing. I, I look at them all the time and I think, wow, you started all of this obsession with snakes, you know, and, and at the time you think, oh, go for snakes. That's all there is. And then you learn all of the little tiny fossorial snakes in Southern California that you never have seen. And you start to want to search for everything. Oh, and then on one other side note, I looked up, there's a, a longevity record website and I looked up. Yeah. Yeah. The longevity record, at least for Pituophis catenifer. I don't know if it was the same subspecies or what, but. Longevity record is 33.8 years. So if he oh. can beat that. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming up on it. He is. That's amazing. And so when you're 11, you, now now you're like, well, now what? What do exactly. I what do I feed this thing? Yeah, my dad um my dad and I went to he took me to a pet store. We found someone that said, "Oh, that's a gopher snake and it needs to eat pinkies." And my dad said, "Well, what's that?" And, and they brought them out and showed him what a pinky was. And to this day, I mean, I haven't fed him pinkies recently, but I used to breed mice and he would, that, that particular snake loves pinkies the most. Okay. I assume it's because they're nest raiders and they go in the ground and just eat as much as they want. And then, yeah, yeah. they just hoover up everything in in the nest. Loves it. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And you sent me a picture of the snake and it's just gorgeous. It's a gorgeous gopher. Uh, yeah, he's really awesome. nice um, orangey yellowish background color and and nice dark blotches and very cool, very cool, very uh, you know, very nice snake. And uh, did after that, uh, did you find uh, mo- you start looking for more snakes and and uh, start doing the the whole herping, what we call herping thing now? Exactly. And then, well, the really what really got me into it later is in. Uh, you know, I would always look for everything and anything that moved. I wanted to know about it. But later um, at Cal Poly Pomona, I took a herpetology course with uh-huh. uh, Dr. Stewart. And, you know, we went on field trips out to the desert and and all of the things in, in the books um, that kind of that you never knew existed. Like we were finding those things and I couldn't believe it, it was like another whole new world opened. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I think... Um you didn't sort of casually sidle up to this uh, obsession. I don't want to call it a hobby because I don't, I don't like that word as much, but you, you didn't just sort of sneak up on it. It just sort of 
hit you over a head like a thunderclap. Yeah. And and again, when you get out into the desert and you see more things, it happens again. And so uh, you're in this thing, <laughs> I'm a, whether you I'm like a, it or not. I'm afraid to go on one of those trips with you guys because I think <laughs> <laughs> I won't. It'll just it you know need more and more of it. I guess. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Um, I was, so the, to me, this is the this is the amazing thing because you know people come at this from di- many different places, but very few people come at it by having it you know dropped in their head like a brick. Right. And I find it interesting that a lot of, you know, I listen to your show and I hear a lot of the people say that their, that entry age was 11, 10 or 11, you know, that, that must be significant in some way as for our, how our brains develop or or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, I, you know, I, my seriousness with it was, um, well, it's 50 years ago. So, Mm -hmm. um, do the math. So, uh, yeah, 50, uh, this is my 50th year of, of doing that. So I was 11. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. Um, and now you've, uh, you're, you're grown up, you you've moved, you live in, uh, uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, uh, what do you do for a living? Um, I, I work for a university and I take care of research amphibians. Ah, okay. Like frogs and salamanders or uh, spadefoots and dart frogs. Okay. All yeah. right. And tungra frogs. Oh, okay. Very good. So these are research animals and your job is to maintain them and keep them in good health. Exactly. Sounds like a pretty cool gig. It's, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the kind of job you always want as a herper and you don't know if you can ever find it. Um, seems like a lot of herp type jobs are, you know, part-time temporary, or you have to travel. And then they're limited term. Yeah. Yeah. So w- you trade the, the herpetofauna of the desert for the herpetofauna of the mountains and the, uh, the coastal plain, uh, you know, uh, the Piedmont area and all that in the swamps of North Carolina. And so you had to learn a whole new set of animals and how to find them and enjoy them. Exactly. Um, our first trip here, we, we just moved here in 2018. Um, our first trip here before we came, I was dead set on finding a copperhead, right? And so every night we were here for, I think, three nights and every night, all I would do after we did whatever we did in the daytime, you know, we came, saw NASCAR race and things like that, but I'd say, okay, bye. Now I'm staying up and going herping alone. (laughs) One thing I noticed right away is that out, out here, the cops don't stop you all the time when you're at a dead end road looking with a flashlight in California. I mean, that, that's a huge they stop you where I used to hurt. They would always come up. Hey, what are you doing? And you tell them and then they say, okay, you know, multiple yeah, times, yeah. but North Carolina is not really like that. Um, hmm. I saw a cop. He saw me, he said nothing and drove away. So I don't know, wow. just, just an interesting item. But the, I think it was the second night that I was out here looking for, for snakes. It was over near Charlotte. Um, and I went, up, you know, some dead end road in the middle of the night. And I, I did find a copperhead on that trip. So it, if I only knew that finding a copperhead is not so difficult, and if I knew how many I would have come across after actually living here, yeah. I wouldn't have been so amazed by it. But you know, your first one is, is a huge yeah. deal. <laughs> I'll, I'll never, never forget it. Yeah. Myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, still, I can still remember lifting the rock and seeing those two 
beauties underneath. I'm sure you have the same memory kind of memory just kind of gets burned in your brain. Exactly. And you, and it seems like for me now, I mean, each year, each season, that first copperhead is always a very, it's a special moment every, every time. But then towards, you know, you get to August or September and you've seen so many copperheads, you don't even stop the car to take a picture of all of them anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you, you get them across the road and wish them well. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, have you done, uh, I think if I remember this right, you've done some re- relocations for Copperheads, gotten them out of people's yards and things? Exactly. Yeah. The first year we came here, um, you know, all I wanted to do was learn everything about all of the snakes here just for identification reasons. And then, and then I realized, well, hey, I can help the neighbors with Copperheads when they find them in their yard or their garage. Um, we had a lady that had them. Um, it was like an attached garage that was almost like a room. And he was just sitting in that room with his head up in the air, just staring. And she sends me the picture. And then, you know, I, I get there two hours later. He's still in that same exact position with his head up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> she said he never moved. Wow. Yeah. So that Us- first. Usually the way that goes is they send you a picture and you get there and zip. It's and gone. And it's gone. Yeah. yeah. See, that's the thing. I, I tell, I, I'm training someone else to do this right now too. And I, I tell them, don't don't go on the wild goose chases, have them call you when they see it. You know what I mean? Or, or do you have eyes on the snake or do you know where it went? Because I hate for people to go and just waste their time. And you know what I mean? Like right. I tell people, call me when you see it, you know, or, you know, and please don't kill it, it before I get there. Exactly. Oh, well, that one used to bug the crap out of me. I'd, oh, get yeah. a call and I'd get there and the snake would be dead. Exactly. Ugh. Or yeah. they send you a picture, you get there and they say, Oh, well look, I killed this one the other day. And, we don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they feel that they need to tell us. And they think that you're doing them a favor, but you're really doing the snake a favor. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I try to I try to educate people on how to make their yard or their house less um you know, less attractive to a snake or to its prey wanting to stay. Less copperheady. Exactly. Okay. And and in term you get uh, misid- misidentified things that aren't copperheads, but people think they're copperheads too, right? Oh yeah, I get I get calls where they say, "Oh, I'm sure, and it, it's a copperhead, and we need you to come and can help us. It's under this bag in our front yard." And then you know, I go to their house, I show up, the guy first walks down and just lifts up the bag with his hand. And I'm thinking, well, that's not too smart if that really is a <laughs> copperhead. <laughs> and then you look underneath, and it's a tiny little decays brown snake. And so I just pick it up and everyone's freaking out and then I explain to him what it is and how to, you know, idea copperhead. I'm showing him pictures of copperheads in my phone and showing him the differences. Uh, By the end of that visit, their daughter wanted to hold the DK's brown snake and, you know, and she's holding it up to her face and just, it was a good moment. Yeah. I love it. The children often don't have their, uh, their parents' prejudices and fears. Exactly. And some go against them and say, oh, well, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll hold it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mom doesn't like it, so I'm going to like it. Exactly. <laughs> so it's that, true. It goes one way or the other. <laughs> op- oppositional defiance there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. And so, you know, you, you save the snake and uh, whether it's a, a venomous snake or not, you, you know, you, the snake gets saved mm-hmm. and uh, people get a little bit of education. And so. Uh, you just make the the world a little better place for snakes, one snake at a time. It's it's really all I. I mean, I don't have children. I have a lot of pets, but that it it's just one of those things where that became my passion, and now at this point, I feel like I 
a need to do this. And, and North Carolina seems to really, really need it. Um, I get a lot of people where they, you know, only good snake is a dead snake. We've all yeah. heard it. Um, I try to talk to those people. Some people are, are very resistant and it just won't listen to you at all. But I do see the people who, you know, do slightly turn around. And, and like I said before, they plant that little seed like, hey, it's, it's not that scary. It's just what you've been trained to think. Yeah. Yeah. You also have rescued, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but have you rescued snakes from, um, what do they call it, landscape netting? Yes. Um, actually, a few of those in California, too. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, in Southern California, I worked for the county, for, for County of Orange, and I did weed abatement. And, you know, it gets me out in remote areas and we found all kinds of snakes and, and my crew, I would tell them, Hey, don't kill the rattlesnakes. You come tell me. And one day they find just an, a tarp that's just sitting decaying in the sun. And they're telling me, Hey, you know, you need to come help because something's wrong. And I thought it would be a rattlesnake. And I go over and it's, it's actually a, um, a huge gopher snake that's stuck in kind of like a decaying tarp where it's just, he, he had gone through and you know how it is. They keep going through because they think they're going to get out. And then who knows how long he'd been there. It was a shady spot, a um, little bit of filtered light. So I just sat there and cut him all out. His, his skin was all bunched up, but he was fine. You know, wow. I got him out and he just looked at me like, Whoa, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that had to feel good. Not fun being trapped here. Plus it's, it's your old favorite, the gopher snake. Oh yeah. That will always I can't, you know what I mean? That they always have a special place in my heart. It's what I miss most living in North Carolina. I miss, I miss all the king snakes from California and I miss the, uh, the gophers. I'd like to go find a pine snake. I haven't gone out to try to do that yet. I guess like sand hills area out here. Yeah. Do some sand hill herping. There's some cool stuff out there. Yeah. We need to plan a trip out that way. Yeah. And you also, you, you, I'm on this group. Uh, it's called uh, Herp Journal, mm-hmm. and which you started. Yes, and uh, it, it's a. Uh, tell me a little bit about why you started this uh, this Facebook group. Um, once I started to learn all the herps out in North Carolina, and I started finding just random things and and some things that were actually rare that I didn't realize were rare at the time. But the property we lived on when we first moved here was um, just very untouched. So I'd find neat salamanders and stuff like that. Um, I, I log all of my finds on that NA Herp website. So uh-huh. very good. Um, yeah, but I thought that I should start a group where that's more focused on kind of broad, broad animals. Like because I have all that experience from Southern California, but then moving to this East Coast side where everything's new. Basically, everything I was finding in the beginning was something brand new to me. Some of them I'd, I'd never heard of until we moved here. So you use the group to, uh, you, you post pictures of, of your finds and, and of course other people, uh, live elsewhere and, um, have different discoveries. Yeah. We have a couple members in Lebanon. Um, one of them has a whole YouTube channel and they, they, it's just really interesting to see animals from Lebanon and you, you kind of look at it and you look at the habitat and it'll look like maybe somewhere you've hurt, hurt before. You know what I mean? Like same, same type of plants, but just a different, whole different area and different species than you've ever seen, uh-huh. which I find amazing. I love to see what people are finding and what, what's their boring animal that they find all the time. You know what I mean? But to us, it's something amazing. Yeah. That we well, if you live in Lebanon, the copperhead has got to be a, a cool serpent. Oh yeah. 
yeah, a lot of them are very interested in seeing what we find out here. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, the grass is always greener. Type thing. Yeah, <laughs> not not that you're tired or your or that your local stuff is boring, but it's always fun to see other things and other places. Of course. Yeah, it's an it, it's called Herp Journal. It's very interesting. Uh, and, and how many people are on there right now? I think it's over 400 at this point. Holy cow. We have a guy, I'm pretty sure he lives in Korea and he joined. And you know, okay. you, you think some people are spamming you trying to join, but these are just people that are interested. You can tell when they fill out the questions, just certain things that they say where a lot of people join because they, they don't know about snakes, you know, or they don't know about, about them and they'd like to, or about herps or even what the word means. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I just hope that we're educating people a little. I try to, you know, I try to list species if I, if I post an animal or I'll right. occasionally do informational, you know, like a picture of a copperhead that's coming to, you know, you leave your pet food outside and there's a rat in it. And then, oh, oops, the copperhead's coming right up to it to eat it. And just things to teach people how to make their, their areas less attractive to a snake or to a venomous yeah. snake sticking around. Yeah, well, we, we understand that everybody wants a copperhead on their property. We mm-hmm. get it. Um, but if you can, uh, you, you turn the corner with them or they put the shovel away and, yes. and they, they take your advice about, you know, because they, you know, they realize, well, I, I could get rid of this one, but that there could be more. So mm-hmm. I need to stop the flow of copperheads onto my property. And I feel like some of these people that, that I go meet with that have, you know, snakes on their property or they're worried about snakes, um, even just spending that little bit of time with them and expanding or explaining just, just little pieces of information about, about the snake and making it more like it's an animal that matters rather than just, Oh, I'm afraid of it. Kill it. If, if you start talking yeah. about why it's there, what it needs that it, I tell everyone snakes like filtered sunlight, you know what I mean? They're going to be hanging out there so that they can move quickly into the sun or quickly into the shade. And, and he's trying to be comfortable. Yeah. All he's doing all day is looking for a spot to be comfortable. Yeah. And if yeah. you break up that area and kind of break up the plants, you know what I mean? You, you can at least see it when it's there instead of sticking your hand in and getting bitten by something. Yeah. And you clean up your junk and. Yes. Yeah. We get a lot of people that um, like, like hoarding cases where you go and I mean, it's just a herper's dream. You flip everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people are uh, untidy. Yeah. A lot of people just need, um, a little bit of like human contact sometimes I think to help with that situation. Yeah. And at the very least, it's just like, you know, Hey, don't stick your, don't go barefoot here and don't stick your hand in there. Exactly. You'll be fine. Probably exactly. you'll just be fine. So, you know, have to use common sense, but if you've got, I understand people have kids too. They get, they worry about their kids or their dogs, things like that. So. Yeah. I hear about a lot of um, copperheads biting dog noses out here, which of course is understandable, but I, I tell people, you know, take a light at night when you go out at night and you're even just going to the trash or the recycling, take that light, just take it. You know what I mean? And it's hard to not wear sandals because it's hot, but. Yeah. And, and I, I know a couple herpers who have been bitten by copperheads while one taking out the trash and the other one walking a dog at night and they, they weren't even herping. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it happens. So it happens to herpers too. Yeah. It's, it's easy to not, you know, pay attention. Yeah. And where we lived before, when we first moved here, um, I tried to always tell myself, Hey, look outside before you go, because there might be a snake, even me, you know? And, and, yeah. 
And I look one day and there, there was a copperhead right there. And I opened the door and he struck right at the door and then he just went away. <laughs> it was like, I dreamed wow. it there. I felt like, <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah, certain, certain nights when the cicadas go crazy, there's just, we, we used to get um, one copperhead that would just hunt the perimeter of our house because we'd have a lot of little toads. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you ever see a meat cicadas too? No, but I know people who have. Yeah. Yeah. That's always very interesting too. I'd love to find that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And I, when I go outside in the spring, I, uh, on the front, on my front porch, I always be, I have to be careful because I have garter snakes that live under my steps. Oh yes. You don't want to squish them. Yeah. So I've got the mailman on my side now. Um, he, uh, at first he was just kind of, uh, uh, he was not happy, <laughs> so, and, but uh, we had a little chat and I'm like, yeah, they're, they're fine. They won't, they won't bother you. They won't, they'll, they'll just, they'll, they'll crawl away. If you come up on the stairs, well, they actually, they don't, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, they, they won't touch you. I, I, I give you my word of honor, you know, I, I, and he's fine with it now. He's, he's like, yeah, hey, you got a snake out here today. So, you know, he's not on board, but he gets it. Yeah. And because uh, they come out and they'll bask on the steps. And I've actually had Amazon and USP, uh, UPS drivers bring packages up on the porch and walk right by a coiled garter snake and they never saw it. Exactly. People you know, they never even saw them. I tell everyone people, people can be so oblivious to what's right um, on their footprints, right? Right in front of them. There yeah. was a on the way to a copperhead call. One of my favorite things, I don't know why, is is on my way to a copperhead call in the night when I can road cruise a copperhead on the way to the call. I don't know why, but I, I feel like that's like to the max type of thing. Yeah, that's pretty meta. I like it. There was a, a lady jogging and she didn't even see, you know, I, I see the snake. I see a copperhead in the road. There's a girl jogging right toward it. A guy jogged right over it, didn't see it. Um, and I told her, hey, you know, don't. You, you need to move over a little. There's a copperhead in the road. And she said, oh, where? And she, she had no clue. She's looking at wow. her phone. And so I don't know. Yeah. And and uh, number one, people walk by them all the time because of that. Or something happens. They get bit on the ankle or something because they didn't see it. Yeah. Boy, oh, boy. Um, yeah. Well, it's the, the educational aspect of this is never ending, too. There's always, you know plenty of people that, that need to, to learn more about it. But, you know, the kids are always receptive, I think. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always a good start is the kids. You're on Facebook or you're on Instagram too? Yeah. I mostly use my um, Instagram. It's under snake protector. Snake protector. Is that all one word or? It's one word. Um, it, it's grown a lot too. I think a lot of it's word of mouth. Um, a lot of these like, you know, North Carolina mom types, they like me, I think, because I'm female. So I think it makes it a little more approachable for them. Yeah. Um, one of them told me the other, you know, this past season, she said, you know, you're you're the talk of the town. And I said, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I didn't think anyone would care, but she says everyone kind of thinks I'm crazy. But but at least that brings interest. And I think the interest yeah. is is something. There's something to that. Yeah, and I think it, it does help to have, you know, it's, it's you know, for years, this this uh, field herping was, you know, typically mostly male. And and uh, it's good to have females and minorities and everybody, all kinds of folks from everywhere involved in it now. And it's just easier for people to, uh, to you know, to take direction from people, you know, that uh, aren't all, you know, 
old guys like me. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I think one thing too, is that we can all like, that's why I like your show so much is I feel that we can all learn so much from each other. Even when you think, you know, a ton about it. I mean, all these people's experience combined. I mean, think of all the years of herping. People can teach you something that you had no clue and then make something a lot clearer for you in how to find maybe a specific type of animal. Yeah. um, We don't come out of the egg, so to speak, with uh, all of this knowledge in our heads. So it's a a work in progress. I'm a work in progress too. So That's a a good way to look at it. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it's been great to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. Thank you. I love your show because it's like talking to herping friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. People who get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a friendly audience. Well, thanks again, Stacy. Thank you, Mike. Kim Brown, welcome to the show. Hello, Mike. Good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Now, uh, before we get into the show, I just wanted to mention that uh, we we got to meet uh, in person uh, on Snake Road a few weeks ago. You end up meeting a lot of people on Snake Road. (laughs) Yeah, but it was good to run into you. Uh, And uh, as soon as I started talking to you, like, oh, you know, hmm, potential podcast guest. Because I, 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 you know, we're friends on social media, and so I think Twitter and Facebook, and uh, we you follow each other. So it's been interesting to kind of follow along. Uh, it's been fun watching uh, you post things about what happens in your class and so on and so forth. So I kind of knew I wanted to get to, to talk to you. But uh, before we really get into it, uh, we need to find out a little bit about you. So can you tell us, uh, you know, where you live and what you're up to, where you teach, and that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. So I am... Uh... Right now, I'm a teacher from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, this is maybe my 21st year in teaching. I've been I've taught high school biology, environmental science, anatomy, but right now I'm teaching seventh grade STEM and high school ecology, and it's given me an opportunity to do the thing that I really want to do, which is get kids outside and get them more interested in wildlife and nature. So that's been that's been a blessing. And I'm in a school that has a fantastic campus. So we're in the middle of um, we're in the middle of the Prentice Cooper National Forest. And we have about three miles of trail that circle around our school so we can get out on the trail all the time and do a little bit of hiking. And there's lots of wildlife that I've been able to introduce them to back there. That's amazing. Now, that's, oh, it's now that's unbelievable. That's a real gift uh, to an ecology teacher. <laughs> Definitely. Not not every school has that ability without getting on a yellow bus and going somewhere. Yeah, no, the school I was at previously had, it was nothing but concrete. There was no grass or trees to be found. So this has been a really, really nice change. 
Well, good. Good for you and good for the kids. Yes, definitely. They love it. Yeah. So 21 years, that's, that's quite an amazing run. Uh, so you're, we'll call you a veteran school teacher. And what, what grades do you teach? Right now I'm teaching seventh and 12th, but I've been all the way from seventh. Uh, I've been every grade in between. So, um, okay. yeah, but right now I've got middle and high, which is, is kind of weird. It's like being in two different worlds. So the seventh yeah. grade and the seniors are nothing alike, but it's a nice break from each other to, you know, have the craziness of seventh grade followed by the quietness of 12th. <laughs> yeah. As seventh grade, there's lots of drama and everybody's. Oh, vocal lots about of it. drama and chaos. By 12th grade, a lot of people are there. A lot of the kids are just surly and they don't want to talk. If you shut your eyes, you wouldn't know the seniors were in there. They're just, yeah. they're just waiting to get out. So they're, <laughs> but they're, they're great. I love my ecology kids. I look forward to that class every day and uh, they've got a really good attitude about learning. So I'm enjoying having them. Cool. Well, I want to get, I want to circle back around to what you're doing with the kids, but uh, tell me, uh, this, this is a herp show. Uh, maybe I should do a teacher podcast too. That'd be fun. Uh, but this is a herp show. So I want you to kind of tell us how, how did you come into this? Uh, uh, your interest in herps, was this early or was this later in life? Well, you know, um, you and I are from the same generation where in the morning you get kicked out by your parents and you didn't come back home till supper time. So uh, I basically grew up in the creek. We had a creek that ran through our neighborhood and my best friend and I were there all the time. So she was into rocks and always looking for quartz. And I was flipping stones, looking for salamanders and crayfish. So that's pretty much where I spent all my time. And I've never really mentally and emotionally left that. I love the creek. I love wetlands. Any any kind of freshwater feature, I absolutely love. But we had uh, some forest nearby. So we found snakes and lizards and all that. And um, I had a little snake that I'd caught and it's funny, you know, because at the time I thought it was a baby snake and I named him George. But now in retrospect, I have a feeling it was a ringneck or maybe a worm snake because it was a little tiny one. And I just assumed it was a baby. But uh, but, yeah, I started early with with all of that, mostly at the creek. OK, it's like so many uh, kids, uh, maybe not kids these days. I don't know. Not uh, not these days. No. Yeah. Kids. Kids don't get outside much. But, uh, yeah, anytime I think anybody. Uh, growing up pre-internet, if there was a creek nearby, you went there. Uh, maybe you went there once, but you went there, and um, many of us went went many times, right? <laughs> oh, man, it was, you know, we spent a lot of time, we'd make rafts that always sank, and we built rope swings, <laughs> and uh, I know one time I was swinging over the creek, and I flipped off the rope and fell face first onto my mouth, and you know, cracked my teeth and busted my lip. But that was just one of the things that you did back then. You know, you came home bumped and bruised and yeah. cut and bleeding all the time. And you just picked yourself up and went on the next day you were out there again. So, you know, yeah, I'm glad I grew up in those times. And so fast, fast forward, you're, you're, you're still interested in herps or maybe you're, you're now you're really interested in herps. Yeah. Well, I kind of left it for a while and, um, went towards some other things. Like I was a paramedic for a while and I was a newspaper photographer before I taught. And so oh, I was wow. really interested in other things. And it's just been maybe in the last eight or 10 years that I've started getting back in the woods. And just in the last three or four, I've really started getting into herps. So okay. I've always liked them, but this is, I've never intensely liked them like I do now. Gotcha. For And, and how do we explain this? This burgeoning interest, uh, where does it come from, you know? I think 
you know, honestly, I think it came from Jeff Corwin. So I used to watch the Jeff Corwin experience and, uh, you know, I'd watch him pick up snakes and find all this stuff. And there, he had this one episode where they dropped him in the middle of where he didn't know where he was. And he had to use the herps to figure out where he was. You know, he knew their range and he knew what they were. And I was that I watched that episode and it just hooked me in. I thought that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So um, starting about then is when I started getting pretty interested. And then once I started teaching it where I am now and I was in the woods a lot, started finding a lot of herps. I started getting the nice thing about herps is it's one of very few animals that you can interact with. And uh, so, you know, you can touch them they don't run you can examine them you can watch their behavior but anything else is going to take off and i think that's what draws a lot of us to herps is that we can you know we can interact with them yeah it's the blessing and the curse right true this this uh ability to have a tactile experience with them uh one hand it's great for us uh who simply want to hold them and examine them or go eye to eye with a toad or whatever, and then put them right back where we found them and let them go. But it also means nefarious people can, you know, do nefarious things with them as well. But, uh, whereas a fish or a bird, it's much harder to do those things. Uh, so yeah. And it afford, and in terms of, a a classroom experience, they're, they're also very handy for that too. Right. I mean, if you're trying yeah. to, uh, impart something to kids, whatever you, whether it's ecology or just simple, biology or zoology that they're they're very handy for that yeah they are and um i've never been one to keep herps i I like to see them in the wild i don't really like to see them in my you know in a glass cage so uh we're really lucky at school because we get a lot of herps so whenever someone finds one they know who to call and i usually go get it and i'll bring it in and let the kids look at it and touch it and you know talk to them about you know what kind it is and where it lives and about its uh, life cycle. And a lot of the kids that started out being really afraid of snakes, now they really like them. And we'll go out and they'll find one. They'll be, Miss Brown, Miss Brown, come look. You know, and they're, they get really excited about them now. And I think that is what a teacher needs to be doing because, you know, kids, they listen to their parents about, you're going to get bit, they're all venomous. And when they start to see them and interact with them and understand more about them, they're a lot less afraid. And they start to see the fascination that we have and they start to develop that as well. They're picking up on things that aren't uh, tied to old prejudices from, you know, parents or grandparents or whatever. But I also want to point out that you also seem to be carrying on the work of Jeff Corwin because, you know, Corwin and, uh, um, you know, the crocodile hunter, what did those guys do? They, they found something, they picked it up or they tried to pick it up and they uh, interacted with it, told you about it, and they put it right back where they found it. Right. And I think that's an important thing, you, you know, for the kids to understand, too. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, that's something you do as well, right? The, the snakes come in, you tell them about the snakes, but then the snakes go right back out to the forest. Right. And we talk a lot about etiquette. So things that I didn't know at first is when you flip a log, you put it back exactly like it was. Um, and I can't remember. It was on a podcast. Someone was talking about if you uh, flip a log, you're breaking a barrier, you're breaking a a, a moisture seal. So, yeah. you know, it's really important that you put it back just like it was, because if you've got something like a salamander under there, that's, you know, it's relying on that moisture, you can kill it. Basically, you're ruining its home by flipping it, not putting it back. So we spend a lot of time talking about that and about 
you know, if you're going to hold something, hold it close to the ground so that if you drop it, you're not dropping it from a height, you know, make sure you don't hold its head that can damage it, you know? So we talk a lot about etiquette, you know, woods etiquette and wildlife etiquette and always put it back right where you found it. You know, if it seems stressed, leave it alone. So uh, I think that that's really useful for the kids too. And I think, you know, they learn about, you know, it's not just learning about the animal, but also that the animal has wants and needs just like they do. Right. Uh, they they would not like to be dropped from a great height either, <laughs> you know. No. So, uh, so they, they kind of can relate to this animal as just another organism that, you know, has requirements and, and we have to, we have to take care of them. Uh, this reminds me, you know, when I used to do talks for kids, uh, uh, younger children and and things, and if there was a turtle involved, I would always tell the kids, you know, when you when you pick up a turtle, you you know, here's how you do it: you hold it like you hold a hamburger, and the kids would instantly get it. There was there was no ambiguity be from then on about how you you do it. Oh, you know, it's like you know, I'm doing a visual thing here to you. Oh, it's like this. I get it. You hold it like a hamburger: two legs in the front and two legs in the back, and they just and they think it's so cool, and then all of a sudden they're they're ability to relate that a turtle just went bing, you know, uh, just by relating it to a, a, a silly hamburger. Right. But, uh, so there's an art and science to teaching kids about things without, you know, I mean, you, you go right into maybe lecture mode or you go right into uh, exp, explan, explanatory mode, but you try not to preach, right? You try to make it relatable to the kids in terms of uh, what right. the animal Absolutely. needs. Or, now, know. I got to tell you, there was one day, so we, um, my ecology class, we went out and one of the kids was like, oh my gosh, there's a snake. I thought, well, I'm going to show them just how safe these guys are. So it was a rat snake and uh, mm-hmm. I went after it and it shot out away from me and went into this tree. Uh, so I reached in after it and it was mad. So it was coiled up and striking at me. But I thought, no, no, I was determined. I was going to show these kids how safe this snake was. I pulled it out and this thing chewed on my arm for five minutes. And I, you know, they have, I think they have an anticoagulant in their um, saliva, but I was dripping blood everywhere. I I think I didn't make my point, you know, but (laughs) they're like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, it's really no big deal. You can't hardly even feel it, which is true. I mean, they can chew on you and it's really not a big deal. It just looks like, so that, that one didn't go so well, but for the most part, every other time it's gone really well. And the kids have touched the snake and you know, the snake, we put it down and it's just sort of eased away from us. And it, it's gone really well, except for the one time. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> they they have their own opinions, too. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes rat snakes, they can, um, eh, they can be a little surly at times. Yeah. I think, you know, most of the time, once you get them in hand. You're right. Uh, and you're holding them and they think you're a big tree or something. Um, then everything's fine. It's just that initial approach and. You know, water snakes are sometimes the same way. You know, it's a, if you approach them, you know, head on with your hands outstretched, yeah, they're going to come at you. But sometimes you just kind of pick them up from underneath and lift them up. And the next thing you know, you Yeah, that was kind of an unusual situation. I think it was because he went in what he thought was a safe spot and I went in after him. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was, that was a mistake. So I should have just left him alone. But hindsight, twenty twenty. Yeah, well, you know, obviously the kids are probably thinking what a you know what a gutsy person you are and let this thing chew. Well, they, I made it on to all of their social media sites that day. They all had their cameras <laughs> out, and I saw videos of myself for about a week. So, oh boy, not not my proudest moment. <laughs> yeah, but that's another element we you know you didn't have growing up. If you picked up a snake, 
<laughs> at that at that age, if nobody was there, nobody knew. Right? If there were two people there, only two people knew. And that, you know, right. You don't end up, you know, across the community. So that is a, a different uh, a different aspect to this. So I want to know too. Uh, so you you picked up herping and you do herping around your your area, but obviously you do a little traveling because uh, Snake Road is quite a uh, a bit uh, of a drive from where you live. My favorite place actually is um, I go to the Okefenokee Swamp a lot. That's my favorite favorite place to go, uh, and it's not just herps. I mean, you just see. I've never been down there without seeing something really super awesome. So the last time I went down there, I saw an alligator uh, hauling a blue heron through the water, which was really cool. Cause I, I was looking, I was like, what in the world has he got? You know, I couldn't figure it out. And then finally I figured out he had a heron and he was pushing it, pushing it across the sill. Uh, and he saw me and took it underwater. And that was the last I saw of it, but I'm always seeing something there. And, um, I've been there before and seen seven different species of snakes in an afternoon. I've been there and seen, you know, bobcats and bears. And it's, it's the best place. I love the Okefenokee. I've been there a couple times and that, uh, I agree. It's a wonderful place. Uh, you can go there for, and do like day trips there, right? You can rent a canoe and just paddle around and see stuff. And, or you can go on uh, overnight canoe trips through Okefenokee too. Oh, I didn't know that. I've never done that. Yeah, you can do that. Uh, you have to make reservations in advance, I think, because they, they only let so many people go into the swamp that way. Hmm. So there's there's only X number of people in there doing overnight trips at one time. So I'll have to look into that for sure. Yeah, uh, I've done that twice. I did that in, <clears throat> um, this is how old I am. Uh, my first trip there was in 1978. And uh, we spent 11 days in, uh, canoeing around that place. It was awesome. And the nice thing is it hasn't really changed a lot since 78. They've done a no. good job of not disturbing yeah. that habitat. Now they've got a mining company that's wanting to come in along the east side yeah. of it. And uh, if they let that happen, it's going to be tragic. Hopefully they won't. Yeah. I went back there in 2000 and spent a few days in there. Is, and you're you're absolutely right. It, it felt and looked the same. Uh, it didn't feel any different. It just was wonderful. And, uh, I'd hate to see a mining company do anything yeah. that might mess up, mess up that ridge that runs, that separates it from the ocean there. But yeah, that's a great place to go. Uh, and as far as coming up to speed with, so field herping is now what we would call a recreational activity. Uh, it's not necessarily the crazy thing that a few nutty people do. So how is that for you getting into the, into it as an activity and, do you, do you have uh, people around you that you go herping with or, or how, how is this working out for you? It is getting into herping has got to be one of the most challenging things I've ever done. So um, as a woman nearing the end of her career, there's not a lot of friends I have that are into it. They think I'm a nut. And um, actually, there's just not a lot of people into it at all, except for some of the kids. I've got a few students who are really into it, but you know, obviously I'm not going to hang out with them. So it's been a, it's been a process trying to figure out how to herp and how to learn, you know, where species are and when they're moving and how to find them and, you know, their ID. And I've, I've figured out some stuff. It's really, it would be nice to have a mentor. Um, but there's just not a lot of mentors around and a lot of herpers like to keep, um, keep their strategies sort of close to their best. So, um, 
I've figured out a few things that, you know, for beginning harpers that can help. Like um, YouTube videos have been very useful. And I watched okay. um, NKF herping because Noah, he's unlike some of them. Some of them will just show you the herp, but Noah shows you the method, which is really nice. You know, you watch him and you see what he's doing and you can sort of emulate that. And he's really good about talking about ethics and, you know, how to do it ethically and not disturb the animals too much. Um, podcasts have been really useful. So I've listened to your podcast. I listen to snake talk. And so you learn okay. a lot about um, herps and their behavior. And you learn that knowing the behavior is super important to knowing how to find them. So when are they reproducing? Where are they reproducing? And that kind of thing. Um, I think my best resource has been citizen science apps. So um, Herp Mapper and iNaturalist are fantastic. So um, not just learning the ID of species, but the thing I like about those is you can go like, I know not so much Herp Mapper just because you guys protect locations, but iNaturalist, I can go on their explore function and I can see where herps are being found. And then I can go into all the different observations and I can look at dates and times and conditions and I can figure out what time of day you know, what kind of time of day would I go if I wanted to find king snakes or what time of day or what time of year would I go if I wanted to find spotted, you know, spotted salamanders. And that's been really useful. So anytime I travel now, I'll go into um, some of these apps and figure out what's there and where to find it and when to find it. And I, cool. that's been one of my biggest resources for learning how to hurt. Cool. Okay. Well, as as a teacher, you're you're going out and finding the good sources of information, and then <laughs> and then taking advantage of them and putting them to work for you. So I like that. Yeah, you do what you can, I guess. Yeah, it would be nice to have. Now, there's some really good social media sites like Facebook groups uh, that you can go on, and you know, Snake ID groups, and uh, those are really helpful too. Because if you have a question, you can ask, and someone will usually pony up an answer, which is really helpful. And that's how I've learned my IDs pretty much was things like uh, snake ID sites. And so, uh, okay. and some field guides and then, uh, you know, the apps are real helpful too. Sure. It's, there's not just a, uh, let's see, I don't know how far away like Noah is from you or people like he's that. Probably, have... I think he's down around the Peachtree City area. So he's probably about four hours from where I am. Okay. So you don't really have a lot of herpers right in your area. No, I don't. I've got, um, okay. you mentioned, you know, we mentioned Paul Eric. Uh, so Paul Eric Bachlin, he's nearby and we yeah. talk and we've been um, road cruising before. And, okay. and he's been a good resource because he's done some lectures on herps and I've gone and listened and I've learned a lot from him. So there's a few people, but honestly, actually, that, that he's probably about it around here that I know. So there's nobody. And that's hard. You know, shout out to Paul. He's, he's, you know, he has his herpetology club at, at school and I would, I was not surprised to hear he's been a, a, re, a good resource to you. Oh, so. he is. And he and I are actually <laughs> taking um, some kids to Costa Rica this spring uh, and that'll oh. be great. So we'll be able to take them out herping at night, you know, when we don't have the program going on. And uh, yeah, I've been to Costa Rica a few times and I've, I love the place. So okay. yeah, you're going to see herps there for sure. Wow. Uh, I smell a future episode. I'd like to hear more about that. When oh, you, man. I, you I, I, yeah, you know, that would be good to talk about, you know, taking kids on these harping trips. Yeah. We've got some kids that are really excited about this. So I, I'm excited for them because everyone should get to go to Central or South America for sure. Yes, yes. I have not been to Costa Rica yet. That's, uh, oh, it's, it's great. 
I absolutely love it. Well, that's pretty awesome. So you're, uh, these, uh, your, some of your kids, some of Paul's kids or, uh, who, who exactly are, are the kids um, we're combining going? our two schools. So he's, um, he's recruited some kids from his school. I've recruited kids from mine. So I think right now we've got like maybe 38 kids, 37 kids going, uh, between the two schools. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, I think that's right. It's maybe 35, something like that. We've got enough almost to fill a bus. We would have liked to have had five more so we'd have a private trip and we didn't quite get it. But um, some of the kids at my school, they like going to Europe. So trying to get them to go somewhere like Costa Rica is a little tougher. It's not Europe. No, it's definitely not Europe. (laughs) (laughs) It's better than Europe. I've been to Europe. I'll go to Costa Rica anytime. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Awesome. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm dying to hear how this all works out. So this sounds fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So obviously you're bringing herps into the classroom and making them part of your, uh, ecology class. Yeah, we, um, you know, yeah, we try and I try and get them out. So, uh, it's not really just herps. I mean, it's nature in general. Uh, we get out, we do field journaling and, um, you know, like when you get the kids outside, it's hard to get past that we just want to run around and swing sticks and throw rocks. You know, you have to work past that. And uh, and once you finally get them used to going out where it's not new, then they start to focus a little bit more. Okay. Uh, so, but with the high school kids, they, uh, they're pretty good. I mean, we've done some field journaling and they've done some good stuff. And right now we're getting ready to, a lot of the trips I go on, I'll get pictures, I'll put together a slide presentation, and then I give them some responsibility and looking at the pictures, figuring out what it is, and then, you know, coming up with facts about them. And then they present my photos using the information that they research. And uh, and they like doing that, and I like doing it too, because it makes it a little more real. And then towards the end of the year, I'll have them do their own presentation or create a documentary film based on, uh, you know, the outdoors. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really good. I, I love the ecology class. That's such a fun class to teach. And I I love those kids. They're great. This is a far cry from when we were coming up and we had a card catalog. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope my I hope no one from my school hears this, but you know, the nice thing about ecology is it's not a tested subject. So I uh, am not trying to cram a bunch of information down their throat as fast as I can, I can slow down and I can take it in the direction I want to go with it. So it makes it a lot better class. And they actually learn more that way than having to be forced at all this information for a state test. And um, you, you don't even want to get me started on state testing. But, you know, that's the beauty of that class is we can take our time and we can go wherever I see. Like one year, they really got into the fungus. We had a bunch of mushrooms pop up. Uh, after a bunch of rain and man, they, I don't know why, but that group really got into the fungus. So that's where we went. You know, we spent a lot of time and we did some sampling uh, surveys on fungus and it made it really fun because we didn't have to rush past that to get to the next, you know, the next standard. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking about this, you know, in my head when you're talking, it's like, okay, the kids do not expect for the big fungus thing to happen. Right. Right. And it happens, but you're not steering them away because you have a curriculum you have to follow or you have, you know, test material you've got to go over. Sorry, kids. It's there. It's open for exploration. 
and you can do a deep dive. So that is that is not typical for for classroom. Yeah, they uh, call those uh, educational jargon. They call it a teachable moment. And there's yeah. just not enough teachable moments anymore because there's just simply not time for them. So right. that's why it's nice to have non-tested subjects where you can, you know, if we don't finish our standards, we don't finish our standards. Who cares? You know, I'd rather them develop appreciation for the ones we do hit and learn more than try and cover all of this information. Like I said, I hope no one's listening. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure this is a popular class. I'm sure the kids really enjoy. They, they the do class. like it. And you're talking about field journals too. Are they are they making notes? Are they drawing pictures? What are they doing with a field journal? It's um, sort of a combination between research field journaling and then artistic nature journaling. So okay. yeah, if you've ever there's a really cool Facebook site and it's on it's a nature journaling Facebook site and if you look at it, it's just amazing. I mean, what people how they explore nature through journaling. So it's a lot of illustration with some labels and a little bit of text, you know and uh, so that's what we do is I'll I'll give them sort of a, an assignment like we're going to do a zoom in, zoom out. So they find something that catches their interest and then they draw it sort of in its normal form and they'll zoom in and on the detail and then they'll zoom out, um, putting it in context. And then they'll put information about it. They'll look it up and get the ID and do a little research and add that. So we do stuff like that and it helps them to learn about one particular organism in the outside. Cool. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, there's, there's all these, um, I don't want, what what would you call it? Um, these skills and practices that, um, they really don't exercise much. I mean, in school, right. What are you exercising? Your ability to memorize your ability, you know, your ability to retain facts, your ability to, you know, that kind of thing. But here we are where you're teaching them to, or letting them have the opportunity to look at something and then look at it deeper and then maybe look at it deeper or consider it from another viewpoint. So they're, they're doing things they don't normally get to do in a classroom setting. Well, there's something, have you ever heard of nature deficit disorder? Yes. Yeah. So, so basically these kids, you know, we played outside. These kids spend an average, if they say four to seven minutes a day in unstructured play outside. So um, they never really develop that emotional connection with the environment or with nature. And then we're cramming all this, conservation stuff down their throat, you know, all this doom and gloom about the environment and you need to save it, but they haven't had a chance to fall in love with it. So they don't Uh, care anything about saving it. So it's super important, I think, to stop teaching all this conservation and just get them outside and let them develop a relationship with what they're seeing. And so they care enough to save it later. And there again, I've got a STEM class that's not tested. I got time for that. So we do that a lot in the STEM class. We get outside and just play. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to preach anything. You just let it happen. Yeah. It doesn't take much, really. They talk about green playgrounds, how little kids should have playgrounds that don't have all this playground equipment. Just throw them out there with some stands, some water features, some trees, some grass, and they have bugs and just let them make their own fun and stop telling them how to play and what to play on and let them just get out there and do what kids do when they get outside. And it helps them to develop that connection. Yeah. Give them a creek. Right. Yeah. Let them climb. <laughs> and if they fall out, then they'll get up and they'll try it again. So parents yeah. are really afraid of kids getting hurt and they're afraid of stranger danger and they're afraid of them, you know, getting bit or stung. And, you know, that's yeah. not going to hurt them. We did it. I mean, it might hurt them, but not forever, you know. Oh, and then the whole germ thing. Oh, my God, there's germs, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
And, you know, actually they say playing in dirt makes you healthier because it helps yeah. to develop your immune system. So a lot of these kids have all these allergy problems, but it's because they're not getting exposed to germs and their body isn't able to develop immunity to the things that they're going to encounter later on. Yeah. Instead of, you know, little bits of freaking out over time, you know, with the immune system, it's all of it, you know, now they're faced with, uh, you know, it, it's a catastrophic thing. And then they're, you know, the kids develop serious allergies and then right. they have those things for life. So, yeah. I also like the, I, I like the uh, concept of forest bathing. Are you familiar with that one? Ah, yes. Yeah. Uh, I just looked up the name of that because I was wondering if that was going to come up. Let's see. Hold on. Here it is. It's called Shinrin Yoku. Shinrin yes. is forest and Yoku. Yeah, that's a great. And the Japanese figured that out in the 80s. And for some reason, it really hasn't taken over here. Yeah, I don't know why, because, you, you know, yourself, you, you're outside, especially like in fall. You're, you're outside in fall and maybe there's been some rain. So you have, the you know, some bioactivity because of the rain. And then you have the leaves are all turning different colors and they're releasing tannins and other and terpenes and other chemicals. And so you're walking along and you're feeling really good because you have all, you have all these chemicals coming at you from the plants. And, you know, the air is just full of other things that you don't get normally inside in your air conditioned environment. So. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, you can't help but feel good. It, it feels, for some reason, your body responds to that in a positive manner. Yeah, and uh, it, you unplug, you use all your senses, and you just basically soak it in. And they say that it brings down your blood pressure, it increases your immune system. I mean, it does all sort of really, really good things for your body and your emotional health as well. So, yeah, that's it's a great concept. And I think adults do some of that. But for some reason, they don't let their kids do the same thing. So I know a lot of adults that love to go hiking, you get out in the woods, but then their kids, they, they don't let them do that. So they're, the kids aren't going to grow up loving it like the adults do. Yeah, yeah. I hope everyone listening to this is getting their kids outside then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're probably getting naggy about it. But um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I really believe in that kind of thing. and. And it actually, they say getting kids out in nature during the school day will actually improve all their test scores. So there you oh. go, parents. You know, if you get yeah. them outside, it actually helps them to develop all sorts of skills that help academic performance. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. You know, my friend Justin, he has he, he has a name for it. You know, too much work, too much uh, parenting, too much inside stuff. And he'll say, I need to go to the woods. I need some medicine. I think that's perfect. It, well, you know, when you are all teched up and you've been looking at your computer all day, sometimes you just got to slap it shut and go outside. And it really does. It really does refresh you. Yeah. Especially if there's a frog around or a turtle. Oh, yeah. Or... Oh, my God. I'm so obsessed with frogs. It was snakes, but it's kind of moved into the, the area of frogs now because they're so cute, you know. And uh, when it rains, that's the first thing I do is I run out to my little spots around here and I go look for frogs. Well, let me ask you this. Is there an opportunity to work the, you know, the amphibian life cycle into your uh, ecology classes? Oh, we do. One of my big hot topics that I'm really into is vernal, vernal pools. Vernal and pools. we talk a lot about that. And uh, I would love to get some, some of them really go out and look for vernal pools in the spring, but I would love to get some of those guys out with me um, maybe in January, February to go, you know, during the amphibian breeding season. Uh, cause I've got a couple little spots 
I would love to take them out there, but that's man trying to trying to get that approved through the the district would be just impossible. But I do encourage them to go out there and look for frogs because uh, and and there's they're everywhere in the late winter, early spring when it rains. Yeah. They're everywhere. That place up in New Jersey, I've been wanting to go up there. Do you know the place I'm talking about? It's a, I think it's a spotted salamander migration. It's like one road where they actually get volunteers to stand along the road and help the salamanders across the road. It's like the first rainy night in February or something. You know what I'm talking about? I, I do, and we've talked about it on the show. Oh gosh, I'd a love to go A couple of that. times, and I can't remember the name of the town, but they they actually have volunteers go out there make sure. And I think maybe they actually close one road for a time so that the salamanders have a shot at, at getting across the road. Maybe, yeah, maybe apparently that's a there's just hundreds of them. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, what a what a thing to witness. Uh, yeah, that would be something. The only problem is you got to drive up there and catch it just right. You know, that's so it's a, a long way to go to miss it. Yeah, <laughs> then I guess you go to the casino if you don't get it right. I don't know. <laughs> go to go to Atlantic Atlantic City or something. Well, this has been a, a lot of fun to talk to you about this, and and um, I I'm really curious as to how this all works out for you uh, with the Costa Rica thing. Uh, so um, hopefully we can get you back and and talk about that and see how things went. And uh, yeah, that was to be good. We'll we'll have a lot of pictures and probably some video to go with it. So okay. I hope it goes well. Yeah, well, I can maybe I can get you and Paul back on, and uh, you can both tell me about it. Oh, that'd be fun. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show, just giving us a, a little a, a glimpse into your world and uh, your I want to call it your origin story, how you kind of got into this and how you've used this in a positive way. I think that's pretty cool too. Yeah, well, this is a it's been really fun. So I can't say I've ever done a podcast, so it was a, a learning experience. <laughs> Okay. Well, me too. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, I look forward maybe to uh, spend some time in the field with you someday if we can work. That'd be be really fun. Yeah. I'd like that. So, Uh, but I think for now we'll say goodbye and uh, take care and uh, good luck with your your future classes. All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, you have a good day. That's it for episode 74. I want to thank Stacy Schenkel and Kim Brown for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to both of you. And if you're on Facebook, uh, check out Stacy's Herp Journal Group. And Kim, I hope we can get a report from you after your trip to Costa Rica next year. And I want to say thanks once again to Ian Kanda, Kim Brown, and Andrew Davis for supporting the show. And as always, a big thank you to all of the So Much Bingo patrons who keep the show rolling on into the future. And if you would like to kick in a few bucks to help support the show, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash so much bingle and so much bingle is all one word. And it's not too expensive, about the price of a cup of coffee here and there. You can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much bingle at gmail.com for more details. And don't forget that you can find all the recorded episodes and show notes at so much bingle.com. And you can also join the So Much Bingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. And last but not least, you can reach me directly via email at somuchpingle at gmail.com 
We'd love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves. And don't forget to hurt better. A Merry Christmas.